Okay, so this morning we're in Jonah, verse 1. I'm in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittite. Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Yeah, that's the easiest you've made it on the cross the county. Didn't Tracy do great? Thank you, Tracy. It's so good to <clears throat> be with you all this morning. I hope that you feel like a Christmas ham, because um, I do. Um, it's wonderful to be with you, with, all, um, with, with you all in person, and I know many of you watching online. Um, um, thank you for participating with us in whatever way that you can in these sort of strange and difficult times. I did want to um, just note um, it's a great treat to see some um, returning guests and loved ones. Um, um, Mike already mentioned Nick. So good to see you, Nick, and my good friend Kevin um, over there in the corner. Thank you so much for being here. And I just before I start preaching, um, Nick is in the military, um, and he's going back to training on Wednesday. So I would just uh, invite you all. Can we all just pray for our guests? We'll pray for Kevin, too. And um, we're just going to pray that God blesses them. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much, Lord, for this morning, and thank you for um, the, the care that you give us in our lives. And we just ask that you would, in particular, give that to our good friend, Nick. I pray, Lord, that you would bless his life, make his mind and his will and his body strong, and give him protection, Lord. God, um, continue to communicate to him your great love and your power in Christ. And God, thank you for my friend, Kevin. Thank you for just his friendship and all that you've, you've done in his life and how you've led him and where you're leading him. Just um, bless him. We just um, ask that you would bless the rest of our service now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, s some of you should have um, received, I don't know if, that, if we did it all right. Did you guys get your communion elements at the door? Or are we doing that at the, huh? Yes or no? You did. Oh, okay. So you got them already. Maybe someone can bring me one because I didn't get one. Um, that would be great. We're, we're approaching a new year. Isn't that great? Um, and how many people are ready for 2021? <laughs> I know I am. Um, 2020, I think we want that in our rearview mirror. And we're all hoping and praying that we see a different sort of year this year. And before we're too um, eager, though, to say goodbye to it, let's just remember that oftentimes, almost always, it's in those strange and difficult trials of life the suffering of life, that God brings new life and new opportunities that we never would have had we not endured those times. So 2020, um, it was an, a year like no other. And I know, like I said before, we're hoping that um, this, this year might be a little bit different. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have lost loved ones. Um, our, our good friends, um, Bill and Patty Henricks, uh, members of our church, uh, Patty recently just lost her father, and of course, they are grieving and heavy during this difficult time. Some of us have had our educational and vocational lives completely disrupted, and all of us, I think, have known just the heaviness of the added limitations of our lives. We can't visit people that we normally would. We um, sometimes, even the difficulty of just that one thing, because maybe you have an elderly parent or grandparent, and they were relying on your visits, and just a strange, strange year, a difficult year for so many. 
And meanwhile, our, our churches all across our country um, have been meeting in ways that might pr promote a bit of apathy um, and invite forgetfulness to God's people who are not ever supposed to get forget the mission that we're on. That is to fellowship with each other so that Christ is formed in us, but also so that we can make known to all people the saving love of Jesus Christ, the good news. Now, we began, actually, um, about six years ago. January is our basically our anniversary month. And I know many of you were, were there on that day when we opened up. Um, it was six years ago now. With, and we opened with that simple intent so that we would be formed as a, as a gathering more, more deeply into the image of Christ, but also so that people around us would come to know him. And it seems as if 2020 robbed us of those things. And on the surface, it might appear that not just our church, but the church itself is losing ground. But friends, it's not. The, ch the church is upheld by the rock, Jesus Christ, and it doesn't lose ground. We are here for the same reason we were here last year and the year before and the year before that. To be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and to lead others to faith in Christ to be fishers of men. So that said, I want to kick off um, ad, with Advent being behind us now, and as we approach a new year, I want to kick off a new sermon series that we're going to be in the book of Jonah. Jo the book of Jonah is only four chapters. It's really quick, but as you see, it might take us a little bit of time because we're only doing two verses in chapter one today. It shouldn't normally take that slow, um, but we're going to kick off this series that we're titling Arise, Go, and Call. It's a, it's a book that no doubt you all have probably heard of, even if you're not too religious, because in the book of Jonah we have that very popular story where Jonah gets thrown into the ocean because there was this great storm, and a great fish swallows him up. Right? Most people know the story of Jonah because of that one simple story, but this small book, couched at almost at the end of the Old Testament, has so much to teach us about our own spiritual journey, about God, and about what he desires for this world. The, the book was written for God's people, for you and I, so that we might see ourselves in Jonah. What I'm saying here is that we, if you know Jesus Christ, we are Jonah, and Jonah is us. Jonah is not about Jonah, Jonah is about you. It's about how we deal with the command of Christ to go to the ends of the earth to make his good news known, what we do with it, and how we follow him. <clears throat> now there's a historical setting that you don't want to miss in the book of Jonah. Israel had received several warnings from several prophets, including prophets like Amos and Hosea. These are prophets at the end of the, the, um, the book of the, at the end of the Old Testament. Israel had received warnings from God through these promises because they started worshiping the idols of their neighboring countries, what they were commanded not to do, and committing all sorts of atrocious, wicked crimes. So God was sending prophets to tell Israel to repent, to turn from their sin or the curse of the law which is outlined in the book of Deuteronomy, the curse of the law would fall on them. So all throughout the Old Testament, 
these prophets would warn Israel that they would be conquered, in particular, by this eastern country that we call Assyria. Yet Jonah <clears throat> is told by God to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to preach repentance and salvation to them. In this, what seems a, a bizarre turn of events, God tells Jonah not to go to the Israelites to repent, but to the to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians, the very ones that would be the instrument of God's power to judge Israel. So what do you think Jonah does? Nope, not doing that. He goes in the other direction. So the book of Jonah, friends, it's remarkably instructive to us as Christians. If you know Jesus and you consider yourself a Christian, it is remarkably instructive to us as Christians because Jonah was a prophet, a prophet of God. And in Scripture, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the prophet simply is a herald of the Word of God. All of us, as Christians, are this, heralds of the Word of God. So jo the book of Jonah is remarkably instructive because the same command that goes to him comes to us. It demonstrates God's concern for all people, even the most heinous and wicked. It's a book about God, too about his will, about his sovereignty, about his mercy, about his justice, and about his involvement in human history. God is active. He cares about the events of life. And we see in it how God challenges his people to obedience, to get in line with his agenda, and to get out of their own. That is the clear message that we see. That how God challenges us to obedience, to save what we would consider the most unsavable people. So Jonah is basically a symbol of all of us, God's people on our spiritual journey with him. So this morning I want to examine just, the, just these two verses, and I want to note two things, and this will, be, this will serve us as our introduction as we go forward. Um, when we go through this book. The two things I want to look at today are Jonah's name and his commission. And that's it. Very easy, right? So let's look at his name. In Jonah's time, the nation of Israel, like I said before, was in a bad place. They were committing all sorts of atrocious sins, sacrificing their children on foreign altars, literally, that's not an exaggeration, worshiping foreign gods, doing all sorts of things that scripture God commanded them not to do. And because of their idolatry and disobedience, God had issued all sorts of warning, warnings urging their repentance. Neighbor, neighboring Israel, excuse me, neighboring the Israelites were the wicked Ninevites, the Assyrians. They were known for their brutality and their cruelty. They were no friends of Israel. God warned Israel that he would judge them through the Ninevites if they would not repent of their sin. But the Ninevites weren't off the hook either because they were just as equally wicked. So like I said before, in this bizarre and unexpected turn of events, God tells a prophet to go to a foreign country and preach repentance to them. And all throughout the Old Testament, we, we see God speaking, preaching repentance to the Israelites. So God here demonstrates his concern, not for his people, Israel, but for all people. Israel's enemy, even. 
God's righteous arrow is aimed dead center at the heart of Nineveh, and it's about to be released because of their wickedness. And friends, it's no different today. If we think that we live in a world that's relatively good and we're not so bad, we're we are overlooking the fact that we have a righteous God that created all of us to love and worship him, but we love and worship everything but him. We call ourselves God, we call our jobs God, our money God, our, our, our relationships God, we call everything God but him, and we worship and serve the creature over the creator. You see, friends, God righteous, God's righteous arrow is aimed at our culture, at our lives, at our nation, just as it was at Nineveh's. Because our world, too, is broken by sin, and God's righteous arrow is about to be released. So what happens? What is our God like? What does he do? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. You see, friends, God didn't just release the arrow as he could have. No, he speaks to Jonah and names him Jonah. You know what the name Jonah means? It means dove. The name Jonah translated means dove. It's the Hebrew derivative for the word dove. And doves have great significance. That is not by accident. Doves in scripture have a great significance. There's a lot of symbolism wrapped up into doves. You know where we see doves most most um, common, like the, the most popular stories of doves in scripture in Genesis chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 8, we see Noah's flood, and he releases a dove, right? Matthew chapter 3 is the baptism of Jesus Christ, and what descends from heaven? A dove, the Holy Spirit of God. Genesis chapter 8 says, at the end of 40 days, there's this great flood, right? God destroys the whole earth. And here is his righteous arrow coming down on the wickedness of humanity in the form of a flood. And he pre preserves and saves Noah and his family. And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark and sent forth a raven. Then he sent forth a dove from him. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. You see, friends, doves in Scripture are the messengers of peace. When there is danger, when there is just judgment for our own wickedness, the dove brings a message of salvation. The dove is a symbol of peace, but also it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God, God himself. Because it's by the Holy Spirit that we are convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word of God comes to us. This message of hope and salvation is, is brought to us. So the dove symbolizes peace in this story, in Genesis chapter 8, for, and, and in Jonah. First, because the dove is God's servant. Isn't that true? Ravens in scripture, if you read the Old Testament, they're considered unclean and doves are considered clean, or ravens are considered unholy, and doves are considered holy. And I know we can start hearing, if we start hearing this, it seems a little confusing if, we, if we're not too familiar with what the Bible is about. There are items in the Old Testament that Israelites weren't allowed to touch or eat because Scripture called them unclean. But there were other various things that were considered clean, unholy versus holy. The dove is a symbol 
of that which is reserved for God's purpose. That's what holy means. It doesn't just talk about what is morally good or upright. Something that is holy is reserved for God's purpose. It's used for it's his instrument. So the dove is a symbol of that which is reserved for God's purpose while the raven is content with its own purpose. You see, the raven didn't come back. The raven was not interested in bringing the message of peace back to Noah. He found some yummy treats. And he said, hey, I'm going to hang out here for a while. This looks nice. You see? The dove is the instrument. The dove receives its commands and obeys the commands of the Lord. And friends, your name is Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to you. Not just this prophet of old, not just to your pastor, but to you too, because you as well are God's servant. The dove is not at home in this world, so he returns to the ark. He's on God's mission, as we are. So the dove is God's servant, but the dove is also God's messenger. That's the, that's the mission he's on. Those are the orders given to him. The dove has a message, and what's the message? He comes back in his beak, an olive branch. And you know what that means? It's safe. There's salvation. And friends, we have within our beaks the gospel of Jesus Christ, that although the righteous arrow of God's punishment for sin is aimed at us, there is a, there's a way of escape. And we hold that message on our lips and we're sent to people around us to share that message with them. That their salvation is not found in their competence or their sex appeal, but it's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. So like this dove brought the good news of dry land, so we bring the good news of salvation, of eternal life to the lost around us. We, likewise, are heralds of peace. Friends, if you're a Christian, your name is Jonah, and the word of the Lord comes to you. We collectively have a new identity and a new mission. That's why we're here, friends. No matter where you plant yourself, at whatever local church you find yourself, if you are a Christian, you are Jonah, which means you have a mission. Though judgment is decreed for our world, as it was for Jonah's, we offer them peace through the Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the message of peace offered to our world from the one who had a dove descend on him at his baptism, Jesus Christ. Friends, God has given you a new name. It's not just plumber. It's not just dentist. It's not just nurse. Your name is Jonah because God has commissioned you with a message of peace. And let's talk about this now, God's commission. Jonah's name, and now let's look at the commission. The messenger of peace, friends, is God's man. Anointed. That's another image of a dove descending, this, this anointing. The messenger of peace is God's man. And friend, if you have put faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ's anointing is on you to speak his word. Not just me. It's all of our jobs collectively because you have aunts that I'll never meet and cousins that I'll, I'll never meet and co-workers that I'll never meet. The church of Jesus Christ is the salt of the earth. And if we don't speak of Christ, how will they know of Christ? There is a message of peace offered that we 
need to carry that is commissioned to us. Now, God calls us to do some hard things in some frightening times. Is that true? Would we move to Syria, to Iran, if God called us to go and preach to Iran? Or would, or would we Iran the other way? Like Jonah did. Would we even walk across the street and tell Ron or Mike or Sue that there's hope for their, their marriage because there's a Savior? I'm not talking about being a jerk with the gospel. I'm talking about sharing it, showing the love of Christ, not just with how we live, but with our words too, with both. And that requires a radical change of life. And here in Jonah's commission, God's commission to Jonah, he commissions us too. We see it in the, very first, in the very first verse. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Notice, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God sees the wickedness of Nineveh and is moved with both anger and compassion at the same time. His justice is about to un be unleashed on them, but his love for them commissions a man. Jonah, to go with a message of salvation for them. And that is the same commission we receive. The word of the Lord comes to us too. The God of creation speaks to us too. His will for your life, if you're a Christian, isn't shrouded in mystery. The Holy Spirit, which Jonah's name rep represents, <clears throat> brings the fallen world to conviction through the word, the word comes to them, and the conviction brings life to the Spirit. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word. Words connect us in relationship with each other. We wouldn't know each other if we couldn't communicate with each other. That's the symbolism of words. They communicate love and desires and expectations. Without words, we wouldn't even know what those things were. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, but the same word of the Lord comes to all of us. And we, like Jonah, have to do something with that word. And what did God tell Jonah to do when that word came to him? He said, arise, go, and call. Arise, go, and call. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise. You know what arise means? Get up. Get up. Let go of the things that we hold so dear, the things that busy us, the, the, the things that we, fo we are committing our lives to, and realize that God has a mission and a purpose for our lives. It's going to mean that we'll have to make some radical life changes. Jonah, I would imagine, was probably pretty comfortable. Maybe he had a nice job, a wife, two kids, something like that, maybe a dog. Oh, and he would love Christmas, right? Because Christmas time, he would get to see his family, and he had, he had some money. So he would give gifts to all his children, and what a great time it was. Maybe in the summer, there was always like a, a vacation to Disney World or something. Jonah Disney World, whatever their equivalent was back then. And that's Jonah's comfortable life. It's what he had worked for. It's the thing, it, it, they were his goals, his, his Israel, Israelite dream, American dream, right? But then God shows up and speaks a word to Jonah and interrupts everything. God makes this awful and disrupting command 
Get up. And I remember, friends, when God first spoke to me, and he said, Kyle, get up. It's, it's time that you know that I made you, and I got something better for you, something different. You've been going your own way a long time. Now come with me. I was 15 when I first heard the call to arise. And what was I comfortable with? Well, my idiot friends, right? Um, fooling around, goofing off, girls, all that stuff. Th those things were my focus. My drive in life was simply to be liked, to be adored by my friends or whoever was around me. But God says, okay, it's time to get up because I want you to look at me now. I want you to take your eyes off of those things and I want you to put them on me. And, and friends, we can all hear this first initial call to arise at the call of salvation. God calls us to get up. What is it that you're sitting on that you, that you think is so much better than the creator of the universe and his love for you? So God says, Jonah, arise. To arise is to be with God. To arise, to get up, is to submit to his agenda and to sacrifice my own for it. It's why his word comes to us in the first place. So he says, Jonah, get up. I have something for you to do. Oh, but my vacations and, and my work and my job and my money and what will I do about X, Y, and Z? Jonah, get up. All right, get up and what? Go. <laughs> okay. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> God tells Jonah not just to get up, but to go somewhere that he never would have chosen to go on his own. And friend, the call to follow Jesus is always a call to do something you never would have done before unless you had been told by your God to do it. It is not your preference. It requires sacrifice. It, it means leaving something behind. Something's got to die, in other words. To follow Jesus is a death sentence. See, that's why when push comes to shove in Christianity, so many people in John chapter 6 worship him no more. They left him. In John chapter 6, verse 66. Because Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. In other words, carry your cross. Sacrifice. Follow me. Now, that's too much. I just wanted some bread. I wanted, I wanted you to see, see you raise a dead guy. So Jonah didn't hear, Jonah, get up and, you know, book another vacation because, you know, I really want you to have all your wildest dreams come true. Play yourself another round of golf or maybe call of duty if that's your thing. Friends, when God calls us to arise and go, it's always a death sentence. It requires this, the death of something that we hold dear, a sacrifice. And sometimes daily, those are little things. You know, I wanted to sleep in, or I wanted to go to this place tonight. And God is whispering to us, you know, you have a friend that needs you. You will need to go away from your sin. Sometimes you will need to leave your, your homes and your families. And sometimes friends will become enemies when you begin to follow Jesus. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus told that would-be disciple, 
Remember this in the New Testament? What do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, sell all your things and follow me. <laughs> that doesn't sound what I, like I normally say, right? You're saved by grace through faith. What is Jesus getting at here? For you, to, for you to be saved by grace through faith, you need to acknowledge that your money can't save you. And if your money can't save you, and you know that, and you believe that Jesus is the Savior, it's very easy for you to now sell all your possessions. So what you do proves what you believe. Does that make sense? So Jesus wasn't saying you buy your salvation. He's saying that when you have it, you'll sell everything else because you don't need it anymore. You have your salvation. But to this disciple, he says, arise, go, sell all your possessions, follow me. No way, because my money is my God. I'm not selling that. And friends, God is commanding all of us, without exception, to arise and to go. To not to sit and to stay. And listen to this third thing that God tells Jonah to do. Arise, go, and call. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. What a terribly inconvenient and uncomfortable and dangerous job. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be better, God, I can, I can picture Jonah, like, God, shouldn't I go into Nineveh and just be more subtle? You know, like start a cookie shop, right? And, and lead people to Jesus through my kindness, right? Like, no. God says, Jonah, don't do that. Go into Nineveh and speak repentance to people, that they've sinned against God and they need to turn from their sin. Don't open a cookie shop. I'm not saying, friends, that we can't think of ways to be creative in our evangelism. My point, though, is that at some point, we got to do more than offer people cookies. we got to do more than offer people to pay their rents or to buy them Christmas gifts. We have to tell them that there's a God in heaven that we've sinned against, that I've sinned against. And that my life is found in him. And Jesus died for my sins. we got to speak to them the truth. Otherwise, we're just humanitarians. We can do that anywhere. God told Jonah to preach repentance, not through his deeds, but through his words. You know, in Scripture, it's really both. It's not one or the other. We preach the good news of Jesus Christ through the way that we live and through the things that we say. Friends, if you've trusted Christ, God's word has come to you so that you too will get up and will go and speak the good news of Jesus Christ to someone that needs it. There is no getting away around that. That is what God has commissioned all of us to do. So when God first speaks to us, when we first get to know him, he's not, he's not yet speaking to us to go to the ends of the world. We're, we're first being introduced to a reconciled relationship with him. So when God first speaks to us to have a new relationship with us, it changes our lives. It changes our direction. But then once he does that and we have this new reconciled relationship with God, we have the life we've always been look, looking for, he gives us a mission to rescue others. Go into the ends of the world, baptizing men in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How will they know? How will they repent? How will they believe, Paul says, unless you tell them about Christ? But calling out evil, that's just too troublesome. <laughs> no way. 
tell my friends that I've repented of my sin and trusted in Christ? Be that guy? I don't want to be that guy. They laugh at that guy. Tell them to, not only that, but tell them that they need to do the same? <laughs> That's not the kind of Jesus following I imagined. That stands out too much. It's too controversial, too confrontational, too dangerous. And we stand to lose too much. I want you to consider some of the engravings found on various Assyrian artifacts unearthed by archaeologists. This is the work of the Ninevites. This is where God told Jonah to go. I cut off their heads and formed them into pillars. Bubu, son of Buba, I flayed, that means I skinned him alive, in the city of Arbala, and I spread his skin upon the city wall, gave it some new wallpaper. I flayed all the chief men who had revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Many within the border of my own land I flayed and spread their skins upon the walls just for the fun of it. They were in my border, so I skinned them alive. I cut off the limbs of the officers, the royal officers who had rebelled. 3,000 captives I burned with fire. Their corpses I formed into pillars. I cut off their hands and their fingers. And from others I cut off their noses, their ears and their fingers. Of many I put out their eyes. I made one pillar of the living and one of heads. I bound their heads to posts around about the city. Jonah, arise, go, and call to Nineveh. That's who God tells Jonah to go to. That's who God speaks love about. Isn't that incredible? Why would God want these people to repent? Why wouldn't he rather just destroy them with the fire of heaven? The only possible explanation for God's disrupting Jonah's life so much that he would pr preach to these evil and brutal people, the only possible explanation that I can come up with is that, number one, evil matters to God. In other words, there is a just wrath that is about to fall on Nineveh that won't be held back, that won't be light or easy. Evil matters to God, and he will exact justice on sin. They don't get away with it, because our God is a just God. But there's another reason why God comes to Jonah, not just because not, not, just, not just because his wrath is at the front door of the Ninevites, but also he loves the kind of people not normally loved by anybody. There is no sin, there is no crime too high that, that escapes his mercy. I hate, friends, I hate to be the one to bear this hard news to you, but God loves the person that did that to you. And I know that you've got to fill in the blank there. And I know that that's not easy news. But God loves the person that did that to you. That thing that you can't forget. That you hate him for. That person that skinned you alive. Took everything from you. You know why? 
God can do that. Because before that person did that thing to you, they did it to him first. David said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Imagine the insults that you have received in your life, the abuse that has been hurled upon you. Now imagine every single person that's ever experienced something like that and have it all fall on God. That all of that sin, all of that abuse, all of that injustice wasn't just to you or to all the countless millions in human history, but against God and God only. That injustice, that abuse, that disrespect fell on God first. So before that person did that to you, they did it to him. And Jesus decided to die for it. Now, I know that's hard news, but you know what? It's also good news because if he loves that person, he loves you too. You know, hurting people hurt people. You ever heard that expression? Are any of us innocent from targeting people with our own anger and jealousy and coveting? If they can love that person, they can love you too. That means that we can be saved. There's hope for anybody. Anybody. Because the same God that is righteously angry at me for my sin is the same God at the same time, as paradoxical as it sounds, that loves me. That wishes that I would have life and repent and know him. In Ezekiel 18, verse 23. If he didn't love that person and desire their repentance, he wouldn't love me either or desire mine. You see? God loves the kind of people that oftentimes we just wish he wouldn't love. And he wants us to go and tell them about his love. What does this teach us about God? Wickedness matters to God. He is not mocked. But he also loves those that are undeserving of his love. His purpose is to provide for the most vile person his salvation. And what does it teach us, God's people now? Friend, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what does this teach us about us as his people? That we are his instruments of salvation. We are the heralds of peace to people around us that are about to have his justice fall down on them that they too can be saved and be rescued and know his love forever and ever so that we must get up and we must go and we must call just like someone did for us. My guess is that if you're a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, someone had the nerve, the guts to speak truth to you one day and God through the Holy Spirit animated that to life in your soul. Would you do the same, friend? Would we remember as a church, if you're watching online, friends, we are the gathered church. Our mission is to form Jesus in each other and it's to rescue people around us with the love of Jesus Christ. And I hope that 2020, like no other year, will be found doing just that. Following his purpose, obeying the Lord's lead, calling people both great and small to the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. Because our name is Jonah. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we first ask, Lord, that you would save anyone here that is still at the other end of your righteous anger towards their sin. 
because we've sinned against you. We've worshipped and loved everything but you. We've broken your commands. That's why we're messed up. That's why this world is messed up. It makes sense. Forgive us. And friend, if you don't know, cry out. If, if you don't know Christ and you're coming to him right now, cry out to him, God, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I'm Nineveh. I don't deserve your love and forgiveness because of the things that I've done to you, the unbelief of my heart, how I've worshipped your creation over you. But God, you sent to me this day a Jonah, a messenger of peace, to tell me that Jesus Christ, your son, died for my sins in my place and rose again so that I could have life in you. Well, friend, if, you're, if you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, he indeed is. And there's peace on you now. God's give, given you eternal life through his son. And friends, if you've accepted Christ, would you let me know somehow? Email me, talk to me. We would just love to rejoice with you in that decision. God, we thank you so much for the rest of us. Would you help us to be good Jonas, to preach the word of Christ? And as next week, we're going to see what Jonah did with this message, with this command from you, is often what we do too. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our journey of faith as we watch Jonah go through his. We love you so much and ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.